praise the Lord for that. And so today we wanted to, as a Saturday school department, thank all of you for coming, for allowing us to serve you in this way. I know last year we had a lot more young brothers speaking. This year we decided to give them a break. Some of our sisters will lead in worship and we'll have our main teachers preaching the word. And before we start the service, before we pray, I just wanted to share a short testimony about the Saturday school department, about the junior department. The first sermon that I actually ever gave was in Saturday school about 10 years ago. It's been about 10 years since I gave my first sermon in Saturday school. Praise the Lord for that. And I know that it was a result of my teachers and those godly influences that I had in my life. And those of us who serve as teachers in Saturday school are simply those whom God has put the desire within us to serve these young teenagers, these young brothers and sisters. And God has given us a desire to discipline them in love and in mercy and in grace and to also disciple them in the Word of God. And I recall my teacher, Oksana, when I was a Saturday school student, she was not even from our church, but she would come and she would serve as a teacher. And many years later, to this day, her influence is still rippling through my life. And very often I preach and I teach, and I remember my teacher, the teacher that drew me to love God's Word, the teacher that drew me to praying, the teacher that drew me to vulnerability. She was such a vulnerable teacher to us. She, to this day, being a woman who can't preach, isn't allowed to preach, is in a sense also speaking through me today, you could say, through her godly influence in my life. So before we begin the service, let us all stand and let us pray. Let us thank the Lord for this opportunity, and let's call for his blessing. Praise the Lord, brothers and sisters. Um, this might have to be a two-part sermon series, so maybe I'll say half of it later, but I'll try to keep to my 25 minutes. Um, I'll basically skip the intro, and today I wanted to talk about the flesh. Um, at least for me, I haven't heard a sermon on this that recently, so I just wanted to jump right into it. We read in the New Testament that when it talks about the flesh, that there are two types of flesh that are mentioned. One of the flesh mentioned is your body, right? That's pretty understandable. You have your bones, you have your blood, and you have your flesh. And that, when it talks about that flesh, it's talking about your earthly body. And like we can see in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I that live, but Christ lives in me. And the, li- and the life which I now live in the flesh, which he means his body, I live by faith in the Son of God. And then there's another type of flesh that is mentioned. And it's not referring to your body, but it does have to do with your body. It is referring to your inner nature, your fleshly nature, your sinful nature that you were born with. And so we can turn to a couple chapters ahead, Galatians 5.17. For the flesh sets its desires against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. So this is not talking about your earthly body. It's talking about the spiritual sense when it says flesh. Because if you look and it says, um, 
Your flesh sets its desires. In this translation, it says lust. But if you think about it in the sense desires, if you think about your body, like your body has desires, you, want, you have hunger, you have thirst and all this stuff, that wouldn't make sense in this verse. It is talking about the spiritual form of flesh. And so this spiritual flesh is something that we were born with, like I've said. It's something that is ingrained in you. It is something that you cannot get away from. Even after you become a Christian, till the day that you die, you are stuck with this sinful nature that is in you. And so you will have, even after you become a Christian, you will have the same type of thoughts. You'll have the same type of temptations. But you will have those same things, but you have to fight against them. And then I'm just going to say from my personal experience that I thought when I got baptized, when I got baptized, when I received baptism, that something was going to change, something was going to happen. I was honestly, I was kind of disappointed when I came out of the water because I thought there was something going to be different. I was going to change. Everything was going to be good. I'm not going to get tempted anymore. All of this was going to be fine. That's not what happened. And so I hope I can give someone freedom by saying some of the things that I'm going to say today. That I used to think that when you become a Christian, that means that you are become ultimately perfect. That you stop sinning, you stop getting temptations, you stop getting all these things. But that is not what I have learned from my experience. And so I would, as a teenager, I would repent over and over and over again. And then I would live for maybe two, three days, four days, and I would live without sin, and I would be like, man, I am living the perfect Christian life. I can call myself a Christian. And then I would shortly after that fail. And then this would be the cycle that for years and years and years, and this cycle went on, and I felt like a failure. I felt like I couldn't call myself a Christian. I felt like God didn't love me anymore. I felt like I sinned too much for God to love me, that God could not forgive me. I had no assurance of my salvation. And the worst thing about it is, is that I knew that God was real. I knew that he existed. I know that I'm guilty before him. And I couldn't live that Christian life. And you, you live in that Christian life and you're struggling. You're like, I can't do this. What's the point of trying? That's, that's where I came to. And for a couple of years, I was like, I give up on this. I can't do this. And so... You've also heard that people say that when you're being tempted, right, that is Satan tempting you, and you have to rebuke Satan. You tell him, you know what, you go where you came from, this and that, this and that. And I think part of this is what I did for a while. I said, you know what, Satan, get away from me. You're sending me all these things. You're sending me all these desires. And I thought that when I rebuked him, I wasn't going to struggle anymore. This is just what I thought. I'm sharing what I was going through. And so, I think I just didn't understand. I didn't understand that it wasn't only outside forces like Satan that I was getting tempted from. But it was coming from the inside. It was coming from my flesh. I felt guilty for having temptations, even if I didn't even fall for them. I felt guilty for those. 
And so I didn't understand, like I was saying, what the flesh really was. And I would think that, you know, when you get tempted, like, like Jesus was tempted in the wilderness where he comes up to you and he's literally like, hey, Peter. And I think that's what he would do with me. But I didn't realize that it was not only that, but it was coming from inside of me. And so, these desire, the flesh is ingrained in you. It is a part of you. It is part of being a human. And like I said, you are stuck with this as long as you live. And Apostle Paul, understanding this reality, and we'll read this in Romans chapter 7, verse 18, kind of till the end of the chapter. Apostle Paul writing these things, he's a, he's a Christian, he's a believer, he's a leader in the church, and he writes his struggles, and he says, and he uses the word I, I, Apostle Paul, I, I. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of good is not. For the good that I want to do, I do not practice. I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I am doing the very thing I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. And this is one of my key verses I wanted to outline. I find then the principle that evil is present within me. Evil is present in me. The one who wants to do good. And I think I can just stop there. So Apostle Paul, and in the next verse we see he's talking about a war, waging war against the law of my mind. Apostle Paul, he has the Holy Spirit in him, right? But he also understands that there is the flesh that he is battling with. And he says that the willing is present in me because the Holy Spirit is in him. He wants to do what is good, but because he knows that he is in his flesh, he knows that he is prone to that failure, and he talks about it in these verses. So I wanted to just actually talk about what it really, really means to be a Christian, because what I thought I meant to be a Christian, I don't longer think that way anymore. To be a Christian, it doesn't mean that you're going to be perfect. You're going to live the perfect life, and you will never sin again, but... Being a Christian means you believe in the one that is perfect. You believe in Jesus Christ. And do you guys know what happens in the spiritual world when you ask for forgiveness of your sins and you put your faith in Jesus Christ? What happens in the spiritual world at that point? There you go, Dennis. Dennis is on the right path. So, when you when you ask for forgiveness, when you believe in him, when Jesus died on the cross, in Romans it says, you were crucified with him. Your body and your sin with it was on that cross with Jesus. And then when Jesus Christ died, you died with him. It says in Romans chapter 6, but then the power of the cross did not only come through his death, but it came through his resurrection. So, because Christ was able to rise up from the dead, 
And this is all really heavy theology. I hope you guys can follow along with it. When Jesus Christ rose from the dead, he had victory over death, right? He proved that death could not hold him down because he rose up and was alive. And because he rose up and was alive, he proved that death had no power over him. And now that means that sin no longer has power over him. So if I died with Christ, if I, my sin was put on that cross and I died with him, and Romans chapter 6 says that you will also be raised up with him or you were raised up with him, that means that my sin was placed upon him, I died with him, I am now dead to that sin that I put with him, and now I am raised up with him, freed from my sin. That, what, that's what happened in the spiritual world. We do not, I did not see that happen, but when I believed in Jesus Christ, that is what happened. And so, Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 6, he says, knowing this, knowing that you have died with Christ, knowing that you have been raised with him, um, he says in Romans um, chapter 6, verse 11, knowing all of this, even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies so that you would obey its lusts. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. So we need to know this. And people say this is your... And people, some people don't like this term. It is your identity in Christ. I need to know what happened on the cross. I need to know what happened in the spiritual world. Because Paul says, if you know these things, now live as though those things happened to you. If you died and you were crucified with Christ, now crucify your flesh daily. Put to, de- put to death the deeds of the flesh daily. And so, also, when all of this was going on, Jesus Christ gave you his Holy Spirit. He put his Holy Spirit in you. And I'm not speaking about tons, because that is just a gift of the Holy Spirit, but he put his Spirit in you to change you, to be like his Son, to grow in sanctification, to be like his Son. And so, every believer who has believed this, who knows this, has the Holy Spirit living inside of them. But also, every believer is still stuck in the flesh, still has those desires. And that is where that war that it says in Romans chapter 7, the flesh is warring against the spirit and the spirit is warring against the flesh. And I can just compare this with an analogy that it's as if, do you guys ever, did you guys ever have those cars that maybe you guys first, your parents first bought when they came to America? These old beat up cars that they're just like barely running and they're like, your dad gets so tired of fixing them every month and he's just like, I'm going to get rid of this and buy something better. So I can compare the Christian life to that. 
to where we have this body, we have this car, this frame, and this thing is falling apart, the wheels are about to fall off, the alignment is off, the transmission's going bad, everything is just failing. And then we with this car, when we accept Jesus Christ, Jesus puts his Holy Spirit in us. You know what? He's going to put a brand new engine inside of us. But the problem is you don't put a, and I hope the girls can understand this. The guys are probably getting this. The girls, no, I'm just kidding. The girls, so you don't put a brand new engine into a car that you know is going to fall apart. If it's all rusted, if everything is just breaking on it, why would you put a new engine on it? And so this new engine, it just wants to rev up. This engine wants to take you places. This engine wants to do something great. But it is stuck inside of a car that is falling apart. It is stuck inside of a car that's not going to take it a lot of places. And so some people understanding all of this, they know that they have been crucified with Christ. They know that they are forgiven They know that they have the Holy Spirit in them. They know that there's this battle going on. They stop at that and they say, you know what, because I'm still stuck in the flesh, when I sin, it's not a big deal. You know, grace will cover me. That's what God's grace is for. And I hope that I was not coming across when I was preaching, because I feel like when you're preaching on this topic, it's really easy to go into that, where it's, It's all grace, it's all grace. But, brothers and sisters, that's where we need to keep reading what Paul says. Um, and And I read this verse already that, knowing all of this, consider yourselves to be dead to sin. Right? If we know that we are prone to sin, if we know that we are prone to failing, to falling because we are stuck in the flesh, what am I supposed to do about it? Am I just supposed to be like, well, this is my reality, this is what I'm stuck with, and now I'm just going to, you know, try to serve God, but then I'm going to just, you know, live in sin and stuff? No. What can I do about it? And this is where it comes to the practical side. And this is actually the part that's really, really hard, that how can I live this out practically, right? That it, and honestly, I can say from my experience, it starts off with reading the scriptures every day, reading the Bible every day. I think you guys have heard this a lot in sermons where they say, you know, your flesh is hungry and the spirit is hungry, and the one you feed more, have you guys heard that example? Is the one that's gonna grow up and reign in your life. And so, What am I doing? Am I feeding my flesh? Because I know that that's there and that it's hungry. Or am I feeding my spirit because I know that it's there and that's also wants wants some food. And so a lot of us as Christians, knowing... A lot of us as Christians, knowing all of these things... We still feed the flesh, and I've, and honestly, go ahead. Yeah. How do you feed the flesh with meat? 
Yeah. So feeding the flesh. How do you feed the flesh? So when we said that it's not ice cream, right? Because we're not talking about the body. The flesh, we're talking about the spiritual side. So how do I feed the flesh spiritually? And have you guys heard those sermons where people come up and they'll talk against social media? They'll talk against all this stuff, right? And I've never really understood those sermons as a teenager, but now growing older and older, I understand that every single little choice that you make, every single thing you watch online, everything that you do has a consequence. It's either good or it's bad. And so, if I know that in my flesh that I'm weak with a certain sin, why would I go on sites that pop up ads for that sin? If I struggle, if, if I struggle with lust, why would I go on sites that have advertisements for those things? I would try to avoid those sites. I would try to avoid anything that has that. And I know for girls, like, a lot of, a lot of girls like reading romance books. And a lot of girls like watching, what is it, these Korean soap operas. And honestly, it just shows, like, it just, when you do all those things, it's not inherently sin, right? But you are feeding your flesh, you're wasting your time, you're filling your mind with things that you should not be filling them with, you're getting a false sense of what romance really is, of what married life really is, and it's not there. Can you read Galatians chapter 5, verses 17 through 21? You read 17, verse 17. Yeah. From there, go down to 21. For the flesh sets its desires against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, Sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. What is feeding the flesh, right? How many, of, how many of you guys read the Bible every single day? How many of you guys read the Bible at least once a week? I'm seeing about only 40% of people raise their hands here. Apostle Paul, he talks to the church in Corinth, and he calls them spiritual babes. He calls them spiritual babies, and he says that you guys should be having solid food, but yet you guys, are, you guys still need milk because you guys are still fleshly. These people were living in sin. They were feeding the flesh. But, and what is he called milk? What is the word? 
He says for them to have the word, right? So he tells them to basically as their food to eat the word so that they will grow and to practice righteousness. And so I was kind of all over the place in this sermon, but I just wanted to say that we have that flesh, we have those desires, and we cannot get away from them, but we must put them to death by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I want that just for you, for you guys. If there is someone who is struggling with that today, that, that those things that I talked about that I went through, I hope that that really helped you out. Praise the Lord. Praise God. Peter, thank you. Thank you. I think it was very visual and very good um, food that we needed. Amen? Amen. Amen. Praise God. Before we pray, before, we, before I call the sisters up here that we will be praying for, I just want to share a, a, a short visual for us to see. You know, by the wisdom of God, God decided to call his church, or Jesus Christ, decide to call the people that follow him, not only his followers, but his body. Interesting, right? He gave this very clear visual picture. He said that Christ is the head of the body, and we are all members. Don't try to figure out who you are right now, a finger, a hand, a foot, okay? That's not the point. Um, this is just a visual picture, right? That we are one body. Why is this important? I was thinking about this. When something happens to you, when something happens, recently I, um, something happened at my home where my son fell and he basically extracted one of his teeth completely, you know, with, with, uh, um, with the root. Um, that didn't look pleasant, okay? That really hurt. Because before this, this was part of his body, right? That was him. Now, it's not him anymore. The tooth is dead. And it hangs in a little baggie, you know, in our kitchen. Um, so the point I'm trying to make is that when I see a person from our youth, I hear about a person that I hear that he or she is not living a Christian life, walking away from faith. That hurts. Honestly, that hurts. And this is a good test. If you hear about somebody that he is not living a Christian life, somebody you knew, somebody you had fellowship with, and they're walking away from Christ. If it hurts, you know that you are part of the body, of the same body. You cannot watch somebody walk away from Christ and not care unless you're not in the body. You know, when we watch movies today, it's very popular to watch very violent movies. People are killed left and right, and it doesn't hurt, right? But when you stop yourself, you start really, that makes a difference, right? right? Because it's, it's you, it's your body. It's not somebody else. I think that's the difference when somebody in the church 
is doing good, is growing in the Lord, is, is serving people, oh, that brings so much joy. That brings so much joy. You know, we had a wonderful opportunity uh, just a few days ago to, to be part of the Bethlehem experience. Oh, did it feel, feel, you know, I felt like a family, like a one body. All these people doing their, their little part of this great one, for this great one purpose, right? To communicate, to shine the light of Christ, to communicate the great message. And it doesn't matter that my part is very little in the body. What matters is the body as a whole. Do you guys get this picture? Amen. Amen. So part of our body is setting off on a trip. Sisters, could you come out? Um, our sisters are going to Ukraine for how long? Eight days. Eight days um, to serve there, to do what they're going to do there and to serve people and um, be a blessing there in Ukraine. And I honestly want us all to pray for them as if it is your brother, your sister, yourself, you would go there. You know, it's one thing to come to the youth service where it's warm and nice and cozy and everybody knows you. Hi, Christina. Hi, Ivan. You know, hi, Paul, Peter. Um, it's another thing when you go to a different country where nobody knows you. Maybe some people already know you guys, but um, you don't know what to expect and you're just, you're just going there by faith. By faith. They need our prayers. Do you guys want to commit to pray for them when God puts it in your heart for these eight days? When you remember them, to pray for them. I promise when God reminds me, I will pray for you guys. Amen. Well, praise God, my brothers and sisters. Praise God. It's good to be here. Let's stand for a prayer. I like to stand for prayer. Father, we thank you for the service. We ask you, may you bless us. We thank you for the word that we heard that Peter preached, Lord. May those seeds that were preached, Lord, be planted into our hearts and into our lives. I also ask you, my God, may you bless me as I preach the word tonight, Lord. And may your name be lifted up, glorified, honored, and praised. Make me small and make yourself big, Lord. And I thank you and I praise you, Lord. To you be the glory, the praise, always and forever. Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Well, throughout the past few months, I've been asking young people what their career choice is, what they want to do with their life, what they see themselves doing later on, and so on and so forth. And so maybe for about five, six different people, I heard a very similar answer. And what do you think that answer is? No, not HVAC, but close, I heard that. Any other thoughts, guesses? I want to be an investor. I heard that more than I don't know how many times. And so tonight, I decided I want to talk a little bit about investing. Investment and investing. 
So tonight, we're going to learn a little bit about investments. Just a few days ago, I was here at church, and I asked a young brother, and I asked him, what is your plan? What's your career? What are your goals, ambitions, and so on? He says, well, I want to be an investor. So that's great. What kind of investor do you want to be in? Well, I want to be a business investor. Okay, all right. So my next question to him was this. Are you ready to lose $10,000? And he says, well, you see, Andy, that's the problem. I said, what's the problem? And he says, if we, if I and you disassociate the feelings we have towards money, it would be no problem losing money. In the same way, if we disassociate our feelings with being happy when we make money, it would be whatever. So whether we lose or make, no big deal. It's just work. So okay, all right, fair enough. So then is it easier to tithe if you disassociate yourself from that feeling? So, well, hey, I didn't think about that one. That's not fair. Well, so well, let's think about tithing then. Because if you have no feelings towards the money, you should have no problem giving it either. And so that led into a different conversation that we had, which was very well and blessed. So tonight, let's go into investment and investing. Let's go on to the next page. It's going to be a PowerPoint tonight. So here we are. Here are several different types of investments that I've been hearing for a while. And if we look at this, we see the stock market. I heard, I want to be a stockbroker. I'm going to be a big-time broker in the stock market, and I'll do well there. I heard, I'm going to invest in real estate. Who's heard of that one? Duplexes, triplexes, apartments. That goes into the commercial real estate. I want to own duplexes and apartments and warehouses and so on and so forth. Then we go next. Foreign stocks, all right, we heard of those people. They're dealing with the offshore accounts, the, off, the offshore stock markets, Bitcoin, whatever, the trading currency, raw land. I'm going to buy land and harvest trees, and after I harvest the trees, I'll sell the lumber because lumber is selling well, and I'll make well money there, and I'm going to buy land and have cattle and have chickens because the prices of that commodity will only go up and up and up. And then I heard the small business lending, and then I heard hard money loans. Oh, this one. Has anyone heard of this investment type? Well, I want to be a hard money investor. I want to heard why? Because the return is so high. Yeah, so is the loss. Yeah, but the risk. Isn't it worth it? Well, it's up to you. All right, government bonds. Well, I like government bonds. Why do you like government bonds? I ask. Well, it's because it's steady. It's always there. You put it in, and it just grows and grows. And 40 years later, you're a millionaire. Oh, okay, great. What about next one? Certified deposits. I'm so happy that one of the bankers is gone, you know. <laughs> certified deposits. Well, it's a small interest rate, but that's okay because it's certified. All right, go on. IRA, Roth IRA. Oh, my. Who's heard of all these before? Who's heard of them? Okay. I've, I've heard about all of them. So let's go to the next page, investments. Here are several types of investments. So let's go on to the next. 
the stock market. I want to talk about the stock market. I want to talk about the real estate. This is so fun. Isn't this fun? Isn't stocks fun? I think it's so fun. All right, housing market, 2008, 2012. Who remembers that? Raise your hand. It's okay. It's okay. You remember, what do you remember about that? It was a crash. Big crash. Why did it crash? What? Terrible loans, okay. Cheap money, cheap loans. What else? Debt, yeah. Too much people had debt, couldn't carry it. Had three, four houses under one name, couldn't hold it, right? It was too cheap. I remember on the radio, people would call on the radio during 2006, 7, and they would be making fun of the credit card companies because their dog got approved for a $3,000 credit card. It was that easy. So anyways, you had this housing bubble. It dropped. Houses went way under value. We all remember that. That's history. Yeah, it wasn't just the houses. It was the stock market that dropped a ton. Who remembers that? Who? Okay, someone remembers. That's good. So the stock market dropped at the same time. So let's go back 10 years ago, right? And we're going to look at a, a couple real-life scenarios of 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 25 years ago, and we'll kind of explain the stock market. By the way, in the past 10 years, what that bull run is, what is a bull run? Gains, right? What's a bull run? When you hear, the, this is the greatest market bull run in history. Who's heard that recently? Okay, so you see it in the news, right? Bull run is when the stock market is just doing advances and gains. That's all it is. No losses. So in the past 10, 11 years, the stock market in New York has just been having gains and gains and gains. So let's look at some real examples. Let's go on to the next slide. All right. By the way, I just want to show this photo right here, right? So disassociating your feelings with losses and gains right there is a stockbroker. What's he doing? He's hurting. Why is he hurting? Because Amazon just dropped 332 points. Ouch, right? If you're an investor and you have a lot of shares in the company of Amazon and they just had a bad day, you're not going to be happy. Why? Because your value just went down. Okay, so, so he's having a bad day. Let's go to the next slide. What about this guy? What's he doing? He's chilling, but he's a stockbroker, right? What's he doing? What does that say right there? B.A. That's, uh, that's the, it's, it's Boeing. It's the Boeing name on the stock market. And what does it have right there? Don't you see this stuff on the news? Do you, do you ever see the news? You're walking in the airport, and you have the lady or the guy talking on CBNC or whatever, and underneath is always that fast, fast, fast information going underneath, and it's usually those numbers, right? Because people really care about the market. So Boeing right there just had a positive day. And if you know anything about Boeing recently in the news, all it's been is negative since March. Why? Go ahead. Go ahead, Gunchirov. Okay, yes, they had issues with their system. What specifically happened to the airplanes? There's two of them. 
they crashed. Two airplanes crashed, right? So investors got freaked out. What do they do? I'm pulling out the cash from Boeing until they fix that issue. So Boeing actually dropped tens of billions of dollars worth of value in just a span of a few months. And they're still losing money. So good day because Boeing went up a day. So yay, they made some money. Does this, are you understanding a little bit in the stock market now? Yes, no? All right, who doesn't understand? We'll explain later. All right, so let's go, let's go on further. All right, so here's a couple of examples I want to share with you if you follow up with the news or whatever. Netflix, in 2014, cost per share was $48. So what a share is, it's a piece of the company that you can buy and own piece of the company for $48 in 2014. In 2018, just four years later, it went up to $411 per share. That's a good jump in the span of four years. So imagine you bought 1,000 shares at $48. You would spend $4,800, right? So you would have 1,000 shares at that $4,800. Four years later, your share is worth 411 each. So you still have 1,000 shares. What's that worth now? 411,000, right? So you just made how much money in four years? Yeah, close to half a million. That's not bad. You like that? Would you want to go back and invest in Netflix? Okay, one says, yes, sir. Ten years ago, Boeing, ten years ago in March, 2009, was worth only $30. And this is right after the crash, all right? So the market lost a lot of money. It was up. And then 2008 hit the recession, 2009, and everything bottomed out. It went down to its actual value until people caught up with finances, began to invest again. So it was worth $30 10 years ago. Highest recently was 417 That was March of 2019. Until just recently, it dropped down to about 360 It lost value. So if you had 1,000 shares of Boeing a year ago, it was worth about $417. Then it went down to $360. How much money did you lose in the market? From 411, okay, let's make it easy. So $411,000 worth to $369,000 worth, you lost about forty dollars to $50,000, right? You're not very excited because you just lost some money, right? Let's look at Amazon. 22 years ago, when it just started up, $1.73 was the share. That's it. $1.73. Nothing. Kopeki. Okay. Recently, just a few days ago, it was $1,760 worth per share. A few months ago, it was $2,011, and that was back in June, July. If you could go back 22 years ago and buy 10,000 shares of Amazon for just a buck 73, would you? So how much would you spend on that then? 
$1,700. That's it. $1,700. What would it be worth today? $20 million. <laughs> Would you do that? If you went back, would you put a thousand bucks into or ten thousand or just everything you have? Sell the house, sell the car, buy it because 20 years later, it's going to bring me 30, 40 million dollars worth. Would you do that? Yes or no? Raise your hand if you say yes. I think all of us would. In fact, we would be telling. Our brother, we'd be telling our mother, our father, we'd be telling our cousins. Not too many friends because, right? Okay, so it's fair. I think a lot of people would go back and do that. I would. And I would try to figure out how the stocks work if I knew how to do that. All right? So let's go to the next page. So what drives the market? What drives it? People, feelings, news, speculation, predictions, calculations, sophisticated computer, whatever. You have a full array of things, right? And so you're watching the news, and the Federal Reserve Bank comes out and says, well, we're going to raise interest rates three times this year. And all of a sudden, you hear all over the news, oh, NASDAQ and S&P and Dow aren't doing so well because that's not good news. Interest rates are going up. And then all of a sudden from something else, you hear, Mr., uh, you hear President Trump say, we are going to slap China with so many tariffs that they won't exist anymore. All of a sudden the stock market drops because all the investors are freaking out and drop and pulling all their cash out of there and saying, no way. And the next day the president comes out and says, well, we're really, really close to a deal with China. And the stock market's ringing high and ending high and record high because people are, hey, deals there, great, we're not losing any investments. They're going to throw into that. It's a lot of speculations, but you know what? The truth is the future is absolutely unknown there. It's unknown. You don't know. I don't know. And if somebody does get some information of how a company will report before it actually reports, they, those few people who know that information and they shared it with their friends and quickly traded it the minute before it's reported, those people go to prison for life because that's illegal. You can't give out stock information like that before it trades. So people go to prison for that. And in any case, they only have a few minutes. No one knew that Boeing would have a few airplanes drop. No one knew that Netflix, why they became worth so much, who knows? Nobody knew that 22 years ago, e-commerce and Amazon would change the whole dynamics of shopping in the world. Nobody knew that the guy who opened up UPS here in Seattle on a bicycle would be one of the largest parcel delivery services in the world. Who knew? Who knew? We didn't, but I didn't, you didn't, investors didn't. There's speculation. It's guessing. It's math. It's whatever. All combining together. And so you hear all these officials always saying, oh, 
there will be a drop, there will be a gain, this company, invest in them, don't invest in them. This is safe because you're investing in 500 companies across, so if five go down, there's still 495 that are up, and you'll always make money. You'll hear that. So, if you were to go back, let's go next slide, and invest in those few companies that skyrocketed and make something and not work, would you? Yeah? All the investors in the world would say yeah, and a lot of people would say yeah. Why? Well, because it's easy money, right? Now, if we were to say yes to that then, and if we were to agree, let's go to the next one. And how much more is the Bible and eternal life then that we must invest in? So much more than, than temporarily investments that we have on earth. You see, even though the stock market it has its Oh, if only I knew, if only I knew that the house value and equity would grow so high, it would be so high today, I would buy all the houses in the hilltop and just sell them all right now and I'd be set for life. I mean, do you ever talk like that or think like that? Or is it just me? But there is no speculation or guessing in Scripture. And this is what is so great about God's word. You see, because there's two sides of it. You either believe it or you don't. Whether you obey it or you don't, it's up to you, but it's real. And there's no speculation or guesswork. And on top of all that, it's absolutely true. So, if we were to look at Scripture in the way that you know, if that's what matters, because that's where our eternity is going to be, then, then why aren't we investing into it as much? Dropping a house and selling everything to buy up that Amazon stock for a buck and sell it 20 years later. If only I knew! Just being worth so much. But what about this? Knowing, knowing God's word. Knowing what lies ahead, being fully assured and know and convinced that God's word is absolutely true, and at the end of our life, we will stand before Him. And there's no ands, buts, or ifs, or maybes. It is. That's just the way it is. And so standing before him, what are we going to say? What are we going to do? What will be our excuses for not putting in the time that we are supposed to? You know that parable that Christ said, it's like the man who found a pearl of great value in the field. And he went and sold absolutely everything just so that he can buy the land and have that pearl of great value. Because he knew the value of it. Christ spoke in parables because the people understood. And we would do the same thing. I remember as a child, Dad, if I found a piece of property for sale and I found a lot of gold under the ground and I didn't tell anybody and I went and bought that, would that be stealing? No, you bought it. Even if I knew there was gold on it? No. You knew it was gold. You just didn't tell anybody about it because you didn't want to tell anybody about it because you wanted it. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it's not stealing. Wow, great. 
And sometimes I remember thinking like that as a child. But you see, as Apostle Paul says, when I was a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put my childish ways aside. Because he understood what the future is, what lies ahead. Let's open up some scripture. Let's open up to the word of God. Let's open up to the book of Matthew, chapter 6, verse 19. That's Matthew, chapter 6, verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. I know that someday all of us, Lord willing, will be older. And we'll look back and we'll think, if only I can go back to when I was younger, I would have done things so differently. I would have changed this, and I would have done that, and I would have taken that more seriously, and I would have just listened, and I would have invested. (laughs) Yeah? Amen. Exactly, you still can Right? That's because we know it's ahead. But when we come to this point, well, why not change? Right now. Right now. And start investing into what really matters. So instead of looking back and thinking, I wish, I wish. My brother always said, I wish, I wish I had a fish. And he would go on with his own thing. It's okay, go get one then. Right? But right now, right now, you and I, What are we doing concerning that first passage? Lay up treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy. Here on earth it will. And here on earth things will break. And here on earth things will, will fall apart. And here on earth things will burn up. But you know where it won't? Where won't it? In heaven. It'll never be destroyed up there. Because it's with God. God sees it all. So... Now let's go to the next passage. Matthew chapter 25, verse 27. I'll just read a few verses here. Matthew chapter 25, verse 27. And it goes like this. I'll go up to verse 26. But his master showed up and answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was mine with own interest. And what does he say in that talent? What's the rest of it? Let's take a step back and let's look at this talent. It's a talent. It's the parable of the ten talents. One man received five, one received two, and one received one talent. A talent was worth about 70 pounds, gold, silver, whatever it was. It was worth a lot of money. And so the master entrusted his servants with them. But what if you look at the if you look at the servant with the five talents and you look at the servant with the two talents, what were their answer to the master? What did they answer their master? They said, Master, I knew you were a hard man. You gave me five talents. Here's five more. The one with the two said, You gave me two talents, here's two more. What's the same common denominator? Between these two. 
ratio-wise? They both doubled. They both worked at 100%. They both doubled that which was given to them. What about the one with the one talent? What did he do? Lazy, slothful, buried it. Oh, master, I knew you were a harsh man, sowing where you did not sow and reaping where you did not sow. Right? I paraphrased. I'm sorry. So here's your talent. I hid it. I'm just giving it back to you. I was lazy with what you gave me. And the master says, you wicked and lazy servant, you knew. He says, you might as well have taken it to the bankers. They would have invested it, and I at least would have received some sort of interest. But no, you did absolutely nothing with that. And so he threw him away to where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Christ gives us a life. He gave us that one talent, which is life. And then he gave us what Peter was speaking about, grace. He saved us by his grace. And I hope that you don't mix in working for salvation. No, we're saved by grace and by grace alone so that no man can boast according to Ephesians. However, with this being said, God gave us life and he's expecting us to do something for his glory, for him. Not live for ourselves, but for him. Do something for him. In the same way, if we knew that we would earn a high return on the low investment and reap a whole lot of cash for nothing, what's the difference between this then? What's the reason why we're not doing this when it's so much more valuable? And let's go to the last passage right there. If we open up to the book of First uh, Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. And it goes like this. For while bodily training is some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds a promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Investing in godliness, investing in, in Christ. As Dennis said, investing in the body of Christ. Investing into working for Christ and being active in his body, doing things for his glory. That's the investment that has not only in this life of some value, but in the life to come as well. You see, God gives us life and talent and expects us to work for his glory. We understand that the book of Revelations, when Christ spoke to the churches, he always said this thing. He always said, I know your deeds. I know your works. And he always said to the churches, I know your works. Well, here's a question. When we die, what happens? Well, we go before God. And what follows us? Go ahead. Okay, judgment, that's one thing. Well, if we're a Christian believe in Christ, we pass judgment, right? We pass judgment. But we go to a different place, a different sort of judgment. What sh is shown there? Does anyone know? Any guesses? Absolutely. Your deeds follow you, right? Not the book of life. Your deeds follow you. Our deeds, your works, my works, 
will follow and Christ will see them. And according to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 3, I want to read this to you. Chapter 3, verse 10 through 15. Open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 through 15. It goes like this. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. There's the foundation. Jesus Christ, saved by grace, saved under the name of Jesus Christ, and by the name of Jesus Christ. Let's go on further. Verse 12. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. What does manifest mean? Revealed. Showed. Right? All right. For the day will disclose it. Because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through the fire. What does this passage say? What does it mean? Though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. What, what does that mean? It means this. Your quality of work that you did, your investments, your work, what you did here on earth for God and for his glory will be tested by fire. So you're in this place, and I'm in this place, we're saved. We're Christians, we're saved. But our works went up before God. And so he's going to take all our works and put it through the fire. And we'll watch it. Well, what happens with gold when it's fire, in fire? It gets refined. It doesn't go away. What happens with rock? Have you ever seen a rock in the fire? It doesn't burn. That's what happens. Well, what about hay? You ever threw hay in fire? It started as a, I started a fire as a child in our neighborhood, and I threw a newspaper on top of hay because I wanted to show my friends what kind of great fire it would be. And the firefighters came because it burned so fast. There's nothing left. So you throw hay in fire, what happens? It burns. You throw wood in fire, even though it seems solid, it burns. But the foundation's there. The foundation that you believed in Jesus Christ and put your tra trust and faith into him, you're saved. But all your works went through the fire. And if something stood the fire, hey, here's the reward. You did good. The work came out. But if it ended up burning up in there, no reward for you. But you're saved. Come and share your master's happiness. Now, I believe when Revelation says when he'll wipe away all our tears, it's because of this right here. Right here. We're going to be saying, oh God, oh God, I'm so sorry. I wish I invested more time in you. Oh God, I wish I, I helped and served more. God, I wish, I wish, I, I just wish I did more during that time when I could. It's all right. Tears are wiped. You're saved by grace. 
but no reward. The reward's gone. It burned. There's no return on the investment that you did because it didn't test and go through the test of fire. You see, when, when God does this, it's because he's a just God. And us knowing that someday we'll go there and our works will be there, how does that change our life now? Like Peter was saying earlier, knowing this, that you're saved by grace, knowing this, it changes things. So does that change our life now? Absolutely it should. Because then there's another reason. God, I'm standing before you. I didn't know. Nope, you knew. You absolutely knew. You know, I've, I believe that we're not even going to be able to speak before God's presence. We'll just be like Job who said, Oh, what a man I am. I shut my mouth. I put my hand over my mouth. I can't even speak. I hope and pray that looking through all this and knowing what we're supposed to invest in, knowing what our priorities should be, that we invest in God's Word and our work, our investment, everything we do for God's glory will stand. Because if it doesn't, then what's the point of doing it? Just saying, hey, well, I'm still saved. That's all right. Praise God, I'm saved. No, not praise God that we're just saved. Yes, praise God that we're saved, but I pray that we all receive a reward. Because heaven, heaven's for eternity. The investment here on earth, what you do, what I do here on earth will be revealed for absolute eternity. And that's where the real results are. It's not here on earth. It's over there in heaven. And that's when we're really, really going to care and think. But you know, by then, you can't go back. What's done is done. What's done is done. So I hope and I pray that as we live, walk in this life, we do things for God's glory. We think about the real investment that matters for eternity. So the question is, today, what are you investing in? What are you investing in? Some of the greatest memories I can remember of is being a teacher at a camp or being a counselor at a camp or being a, a bus driver for the church activities. Just doing something like this because I can go back and I think, what a sweet memory. It was clean fun. It was good, and I was able to serve. What a privilege. And I'll stand before God, and that's going to be my work with other things too. And so for you and for me, let's all think and consider, what are we doing? What are we investing in? And what are we doing to put into that which matters in heaven? Amen? Amen. Let's stand for prayer. Praise God, dear brothers and dear sisters. It is good to be in this house of prayer where we get edified in our spirit and we learn about even physical investments. I believe there will be uh, some investors um, after tonight's sermon and hopefully there, there will be 
more spiritual investors than, uh, than physical investors, but that was a good word. Peter, good word. Um, Andy, thank you for the worship. Sisters, good worship. Um, a couple of announcements, and we're going to be finishing. It is 9.05, so announcement number one. Uh, we have Miriam Zick and Christina Muhin. I'm sorry if I'm not pronouncing the, the, the last names correctly, um, but they are the uh, individuals that you will go to to buy the tickets. So if um, uh, Miriam Zick can stand up, if she is here, if she is not, and Christina Muhin, if you can stand up. Can you stand up, please, just so that people would know who, so please come to this person to buy, and you're selling the tickets, am I correct? Yes, you are. Okay, so you can come up to her and um, buy the tickets. Another announcement, this is just miscellaneous, but we have a YouTube channel as a youth. That's been going on for, I, I would say, a year and a half. And we have some really high quality material. Like last video I was watching, I was amazed at the, the how high of a quality the material is. Like this is like professionally made very nicely, like wedding style of like food and everything. I'm like, you guys need to check it out. So um, yeah, let's, let's, let's make that a good platform to maybe in the future even share the word of God there, right? Have services, have sermons posted. Um, but for right now, we're doing eye gathers there as videos. So you might see yourself there. You might be on YouTube and not even know it. Um, we reserve all copyrights to videotape you and post you on YouTube. So you cannot come to us for that. Um, another thing is we do have podcasts. So um, Victor, I know, does podcasts. And he's very faithful in doing that. So we can just sign up for that. I'm signed up and I get every service on my phone whenever Victor posts. And he usually posts it pretty early. So it's very nice. If you miss a service, even if you just want to re re revisit the service. Finally, number four. Um, we're going to be doing something unique. Uh, this upcoming youth, we are not going to have youth service. And instead of youth service, because this is going to be December 24th, if, you, if you're doing your math correctly, right? Next youth is December 24th, so Christmas Eve. As a youth, we are going to do something that uh, we haven't done before. Instead of youth service, we're going to do a big uh, caroling event. And um, this event is going to start in church. It's going to go out, and it's going to finish in church. So there's a program set up. There's team leaders set up. We're going to be working on it throughout this week as well. We've already done quite some work uh, for the program. Uh, basically, what you need to know is bring something that's warm, like very warm. And if you could bring something that warms your throat, that would be really nice too, like a scarf or something. Because I know every year that I go, for some reason... Um, that's, that's probably the, the one thing that is exposed the most is my throat. But other than that, um, I would say it's one of those things that, like Andy talked about, uh, a, a place where you can invest, a time where you can invest, a time where you can look back. Because I, I promise, anyone who served, you guys knew exactly. Like when Andy said that, the moments that you think back, and there's two types of moments that I have in my life. The things that I wish I could take back in my life. Like why, why did I say that? Why would I do that? Right? But that's it. It's done. It's a done deal. Maybe it was before I was saved, but it's done. And God's forgiven me for it, but there's still that. You know, what if I could have gone back and it, something would have been different? But there's also the times when you look back and say, 
wasn't that just wonderful? Like you're, you're, you close your eyes, you think about a time where you spent with, usually it is, with the church of Jesus Christ, with youth, doing ministry, doing something for God. And a lot of times it's not something that's edifying yourself. It's not like just having fun, water slides or volleyball. Sometimes it is. But a lot of times, especially for me, it's the times where it was maybe... I had to do something. I had to, I, had to, I had to give something. I had to share something, right? I had to, I was, God, God was somehow being pleased with what I was doing. And when you feel that, that God is happy with you, with whatever you're doing, that is a memory that is going to be stuck in your mind for the rest of your life. That, to know that God is well pleased with you. So I, I uh, encourage, so not just everyone who's here to come, but please make sure that um, you grab all the friends that aren't here today. It's a youth-wide event. We're going to have um, some hot chocolate, some, something to like warm ourselves up before. We're going to gather in church at 6 p.m. All this information is going to be posted on our media sites, but just a quick synopsis. 6 p.m., we're in church. We're going like, to get some hot chocolate, whatever. Um, drive out at 7 we're going to do caroling for a couple of hours. We're going to go to elderly apartments, right? Visit those who, who sometimes can't come to church. There's, you, you guys know we have a couple of apartments where we have a lot of Slavic people living. And some of the grandmas and grandpas there can't walk out of their apartments to make it to service. So the only thing they do, and I've, I've done this personally, so I know what I'm talking about. You take discs and you give it to them of church services. They have DVD players and they replay the same 10 services over and over until you bring them new discs. Not joking. So, like, they don't have internet. They don't. So, and there's, I'm not saying all of them live like that, but there's some that live like that. We, we go with our family caroling every year, and that's just the people in my dad's group. There's, like, what, 12 other groups? There's a lot of people that need, that, that would be encouraged. And there was a, probably a time where they did this when they were younger. And there was probably a time when they went and they caroled. And now it's our time to go and carol to them so that when our time comes, and we're going to be sitting in our, you know, maybe you've invested well into some stock market, your condominium. You would have some, some, uh, some, some youth come to you and, and, and bring some light in this very merry season. So um, we're going to do that. We're going to go maybe to some houses. And then we're going to come back and have a wonderful fellowship with the youth. It's going to be Christmas theme. It's going to be interesting. So be there. 6 p.m. So it's not going to be 7.30. 6 p.m this Tuesday. So with that said, if there are any needs, did we do needs or thanksgivings? We can do that then now. Any needs, thanksgivings, we can say that and then we'll go into prayer. We'll pray for you. If there's no other announcements, no other needs or thanksgivings, let's stand up. Amen. Amen. This is a historical event. We are finally here. Praise the, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's, let's thank him and let's, let's ask for his grace for the remainder of this night and tomorrow.